So that wasn't ideal. The question is, what's the ideal next move or moves after being outplayed in a play-in? It had the potential to be the first game in another long postseason run. Instead, it was one game that just prolonged a long season and brought back distant memories. Dealing with your ex brings baggage, even if you wish them well. Even if you look back at shared times with mutual respect. Even if you don't creep their current status, they always creep back into your current reality to haunt you. DeMar DeRozan enters the chat. One of the most beloved Raptors ever, loyal to the soil, back on a court he helped build, in a different shade of red, with one last performance for the ages, which could be the reasons the Raptors tear it all down. His return was a reminder that even though in 2019, you graduated to champagne taste, at this time of year, the taste of defeat is more likely. A reminder that winning is hard and a process and far from guaranteed. The playoff purgatory, it's excruciating until you no longer have the right to feel that pain. What's worse is feeling nothing. Finishing a full year with a meh. There are more questions than answers. No easy path to take. Who's going to lead this team? And what are they leading them towards? Is the roster too small, too similar, or just too soon? It needs more time to learn to succeed from its failure. It could be an end of an era or the start of a new one. The proceedings didn't feel like a goodbye, more like a see you later. And uh, hate to see you again. Only time will tell how long that wait will be and who will be around for the slow climb back to the top. So this is going deep. coming out of the building that was audio from the video essay that I penned about really the plan but more so about what's next I'm Donovan Bennett and with show you can find that video in the show notes of this show but I don't know if it's just me show but I was there in the building and the whole proceeding it felt not like a funeral, but like a wake. Like, everyone knew the funeral was coming, but they were showing up just to commiserate, say, you know, a couple last words, have some interpersonal communication, because it was about to be a wrap. And essentially, that's what it was, to the point where there were no T-shirts on the seats, the crowd was incredibly muted, and the juxtaposition for me, of going to the Blue Jays home opener, same part of not only this country, but the city, day before, where people were in the building 90 minutes before opening pitch. They're loud, they're energetic, they're enthusiastic because it's a season full of hope and promise. And being in Scotiabank Arena where people were saying goodbye to the season and maybe, quite frankly, goodbye to this team. Have you ever seen uh, the Lord of the Rings movies? I have not. 
The, you really, you haven't seen them. The, Zero. the cultural monolith that the, the mm. Lord of the Rings movies are. Okay, well, I, I don't think it's a spoiler, given that these movies came out 20 years ago and that they are, I'm told, based on a very popular <laughs> series of books, that uh, at, the end of the, at the end of it all, Frodo throws the ring into Mount Doom, and he destroys the ring. And there's like a pretty popular gif that they had made of Elijah Wood from the Peter Jackson movies, where at the end of it, he like throws it in and he's like, he's like weighed down by carrying the ring from one end of the world to another. And he just goes, it's done. I'm over. And it's like the culmination of this like epic. That's, that's how exactly how I felt. Once the Raptors were over, I felt like Frodo destroying the ring at Mount Doom. It's like, I'm no longer beholden to watch this version of the Raptors. Not that I didn't want to, like there are some fun highs of the season, right? Like, Pascal Siakam scoring 50 points at the Garden was pretty cool. That's something that happened this year. Uh, the road win in Sacramento over the Kings, which were a, a surprisingly resurgent team in the NBA. Fun to watch them in the playoffs this year. That was pretty fun. But like the high, like there were there were a lot of highs and there were a lot of lowlights. Like we talk about highlights, lots of lowlights for the Raptors this season. So I have a feeling a lot of people who went to Scotiabank to watch the play-in game, people who, or if you were just watching at home and you're you had some kind of expectations for whether or not they might beat DeMar and the Bulls or whether they, if they did, whether they would go on to beat Kyle Lowry in the Heat. And if they did, whether they would just get waxed by Giannis and the Bucks in the first round. And I mean, that might very well be the fate for DeMar or Kyle, whoever wins the play in now. But I guess, I, I guess like it, it is kind of, I am kind of happy that the, t- the season is over because I am looking forward to what the next stage is of this team, because you're right. Like I, I, I do genuinely wonder what the squad looks like next year, because I have a, it, it's either going to look exactly the same or it's going to look completely different. Well, it's not going to look exactly the same. Uh, that, I mean, I shouldn't say I know for sure, but I mean, it's just, it's mathematically almost impossible. Right. Uh, given the amount of players that have player options and, uh, and the fact that uh, they will be up against the caps before they're even looking at retaining all of them, it wasn't a joyful watch. It wasn't a joyful watch throughout the playing game. It wasn't a joyful watch throughout the season. And I'm sitting there watching these players that literally grew up in front of our eyes and thinking about how different the experience it is watching them now when they're appreciably better than when they first started. Evidently, we have to bring back DeLon Wright and throw C.J. Miles into the corner with his GoDaddy pajamas so that we can have the fun vibes of the bench mob because Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Jakob Pertl on the floor together, that was so fun. And they were figuring it out, and they were giving great energy and playing great defense, and they were accomplished, and we didn't know what they were going to become. And in the case of two of them, NBA champions, but now I'm seeing them all individually much better but collectively as a group, much worse. And it's tough to put your finger on why. But those season ticket holders, they may not have known the why, but they knew that it was going to be deuces, that it was going to be an X and O, see you later. And you mentioned the, the Lord of the Rings analogy. To me, this was the 27-minute uh, unflinching, unedited version of succession where the Roy children are blubbering their way through saying goodbye to Logan Roy. And they're 
Nick Nurse, I suppose, is in this analogy, Tom holding the phone <laughs> okay. to Logan's ear. Who's Logan? The is the Messiah is Logan? No, I think the We the North era oh, of the Raptors okay, okay, okay. is Logan. And, you know, the team is just fumbling away the chance to, to say goodbye gracefully. And it was uh, like, what you did was not okay, but I can't forgive you, but I love you, and you're going to be okay. You're a monster. Don't die. Like, that, Rom should have been doing the the... the PA uh, throughout the game, Kieran Culkin, because it, it it was a bit of a mess. 18 missed free throws yeah. of 36. You shot 50% from the line. I could do that. I mean, listen, with DeMar DeRozan's beautiful daughter mm-hmm. yelling at me, could I do that? No. But 10 second-half turnovers. You beat the Bulls in turnover ratio – in every matchup this season, except the one that's really important, the Bulls had 11. You had 16 total, 10 in the second half alone. Uh, DeRozan, you had held to 14 throughout the regular season. I think we all thought he might go off. He got 24. Fair enough. But who had Zach Levine going for 39? I, I don't know if anyone had that spot on the bingo card. And they'd been so good at home. If you told me they went at home they go to Miami and lose. Uh, okay, I, I kind of get it. This is only their second loss at home since February 12th. The fact that they squandered a big lead and went out with a bit of a whimper, I, I was so surprised. But I was more surprised that it seemed like nobody around me, including the players themselves, seemed surprised. Yeah, it's it definitely felt as though we effe- effectively witnessed the culmination of the entire season. And maybe that, maybe that's why, like maybe that does contribute to a certain amount of things. Cause I mentioned some of those highlights with the, the, the 50, the 50 points from Pascal, the garden, for example. But when you talk about all the other things that went wrong, like if you, if you just described last night's game, like they missed a bunch of free throws, there were sloppy turnovers, they blew a big lead that could describe any one of the 41 losses the Raptors suffered in the regular season. Maybe not every single one, but a whole bunch of them, right? Like I can't remember the amount of times going back to the beginning of the season, even to a kind of like a degree last year too, where the Raptors were down big They'd come back and one of those are kind of like it's kind of like a fake comeback and then they lose by like five points or less and and you're kind of left left wanting a little bit more and that is effectively what happened but almost in reverse they had the huge lead and then sloppy play turnovers missed free throws for a variety of reasons and like you said it was like a historically bad night at the free throw line and they only lost by five points so there is some, I, I I do, I'll allow for some wiggle room but I do feel as though what we saw at Scotiabank Arena and the playing game is, for better or for worse, the brand of basketball we kind of saw from this version of the Raptors all season long. Because you kind of mentioned it too. The Raptors, it's it's not as though Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet are like pumpkins. They didn't turn to pumpkins at midnight. They're still exceptional basketball players. And played well in the game. Exactly, yeah. They're, Aside they're, from the line for the, Pascal. Yeah. But like, the, the, the problem is it's it's somehow a team that is... They're all so individually talented, and it's like less than the sum of its parts. And like you said, it's you can't really. I don't really know who you who you if you can blame any one person. Like, can you really blame the coaching staff? Can you blame the front office? Can you blame uh, more one player or more than one players or all of them? It, usually, like as 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 it goes, the truth usually falls somewhere in the middle. It's probably a little bit of blame to go around, but 
it is kind of remarkable that a team that is very similar to the team that won what like 46 47 games last year underperformed to this degree and now here we are questioning the future of this team the thing too is even if, let's say they did blow up the team in the offseason let's just let's just say for the sake of this conversation they go that route they don't have the 2024 first round pick is like for, for next year is only protected to a certain degree so even if they did decide to tank quote-unquote team tank gets their way then that pick is going to be made by greg popovich and the san antonio spurs and not by masai ujiri so i almost feel like to a certain degree they are beholden to at least see what a full season with yaka Pertle at the five looks like just just avoid pop picking uh, in the in the top 10 next year assuming greg popovich is even still yeah, around it's true too maybe he retires uh, maybe former spurs assistant Ime Yudoka is making that oh, pick. Boy. Assuming Ime Yudoka isn't. He's the Raptors, coach. He's the Raptors yeah. head coach. <laughs> and potentially wishing he made that pick. And that's the other question is uh, if Nick Nurse going into the last year of his contract, very rarely will you have a coach going into a walk year as a lame duck. So this offseason will either be an extension or a goodbye. Uh, I Enjoy Nick Nurse. Enjoy the fact that he has time for us in the media. So I hope um, he's back in this situation. But something materially or things materially will have to change. We'll see what that looks like. The Raptors make history in a way that you don't want to. The first team to lose to a 10 seed in the (sighs) play-in. Take a deep breath, Raptors fans. It's going to be a long offseason. But maybe a step back for a step forward. Even when you're close, you are so far sometimes in the NBA. The Miami Heat were a Jimmy Butler dagger three away from going to the finals last year. The Dallas Mavericks beat the number one overall seed. Phoenix Suns beat them down and in a way pushed the Golden State Warriors. Now both of those teams did not get immediate entry into the postseason. In the case of the Mavericks, they decided to skip the postseason and tank all the way. You think, you think they get punished for that? Do the I Ma- think they will? The Mavs. Uh, I think they should. Okay. Uh, I wrote extensively on sportsnet.ca, which you can find in the hyperlinks of this very podcast, uh, that they they made the mockery of the league. Yeah. It, essentially, in an era where us as broadcasters pay a lot of money, fans pay a lot of money, and more importantly to this conversation, sports books pay money to have association with the league. You can't have a team resting a 22-year-old rotation player on the second last day of the season yeah. as scheduled rest. Like, it's not a good look. Yes, I am aware, you know, MavsFan.com, that the Utah Jazz and the Portland Trailblazers have been tanking for months. We tanked for days. I, I, I do get that. But the league built a play-in and sold it to AT&T to make the regular season matter not only did you not make the regular season matter, you kind of spat in their face by uh, announcing to the world that you didn't care about it. So I I think even though the precedent is already out there, I think they find them just for the gross negligence of the way they did it. We will see what the Raptors do this offseason, but before we get to the offseason and fully get a chance to digest all of the locker cleanup exit sound coming out of OVO from the Raptors. Let's get the perspective 
of our homie, Jesse Rubinoff, who was bullish on the changes going into the deadline. And now, well, I mean, you saw. Let's talk to Jesse. You know, just kind of a little bit of an up and down performance, way up for a lot of the game, way down for a lot of the game, and not enough extended minutes of just kind of average, you know, instead of instead of the way down moments. Um, this year, we got a little bit um, disconnected at times, especially defensively, right? I think that uh, talked about that. It just like there was that stretch of games where, where. You know, just just like take one aspect of it, take defensive transition. It just it just really um, got disconnected, and so we had to you know had to really work hard to get that kind of back connected again. And um, and uh, I think the guys did a good job of that. Like I, you mentioned this before, but you know there was a stretch there, you know January, February, etc. That that it was it was you know. Uh, the workload was heavy, practices were hard, film sessions were long, you know, like we were really, really grinding to, to get those guys back together. And I think we did that a lot of times there late in the season, just not quite enough. So, Jesse, I don't really know, like, where to place that. Emotionally, <laughs> logically, I'll start with this. I was in the building last night, and the whole thing felt, like a funeral. Mm-hmm. Like people were coming to say goodbye to something they loved. There were no t shirts on the seats. There wasn't people getting hype beforehand. Like it was just like, is DeMar going to go for 45? But either way, this is not going far. And even if we, we happen to squeak by, we just haven't pulled the plug. Like you're, you're on life support, right? You're not really alive, which I've, I've found to be somewhat fascinating because, like, I know it ends in in, not offs, but it's still kind of the postseason. <laughs> uh, but evidently, the fans were kind of right. So, what was the vibe inside the building when they were up nineteen? Was there still sort of a, a feeling of uh oh? Like this could go sideways at any moment because there's not there wasn't a trust with this team really at any point of the season and then that's a big takeaway for me is that every time there was something going right there was never the belief that they were able to string together success for a considerable amount of time this season so even like last night when they're up 19 you have this feeling sort of in the in the pit of your stomach like this could turn south very quickly so the vibe when they're up 19 and it happens so quickly. And it also started to happen in a transition period from when, you know, Gucci Rowe and, you know, some of the people in the suites were coming out of the chairman's club, coming out of Sure Club, and going back to their seats. So, like, a lot of people missed. Yeah. And it was, you're up and now you're not. But it went from up 19, like, we've won. It's over. We're Mm -hmm. celebrating. To then up five and we've lost. Like, it's over. Like, we we, we can't outrun, th- you know, uh, this bad guy. They have so much longer. momentum yeah. that it's, it's over. Uh, yeah. and, and then I know they had their opportunities. I know, you know, Pascal went to the line to shoot three, down three. For me, when Pat Bev hits the corner three, mm-hmm. I was like, 
it was over. the The game plan was, from what I understand uh, from folks around the team, which I just wanted to act like I'm Brian Windhorse and say that, was let Demar go off. Yeah, right. My guy's posted on IG. Right. This is you know it's gonna be the red you know wedding for him. Let don't bite on the multiple pump fakes. If he hits a tough shot, he hits a tough shot. Let Tamar go off. Stay home on everybody else. When Zach Levine goes for 30 in the second half, when Pat Bev is hitting dagger threes, uh, the, the, the game plan's broken. Yeah. This is what bothered me for the duration of the season with this team. We knew what they were with their DNA is they were not a good shooting team. The numbers reflect that. We know that obviously we've discussed that ad nauseum all season long. But wait, hold on. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just skim by that. Why is that? Because I think if there is a thesis statement for the essay that is this team is, and we've talked about this on Tim and friends, rest in peace (laughs) is the collection is not what you'd think the sum of the parts would be. Yeah. You have Fred, an above-average offensive player. Pascal, an above-average offensive player. Gary Trent, other than last night, an uh, above-average offensive player. OG has had massive uh, offensive nights. One of the players who took a real leap offensively was precious. Mm-hmm. Start to hear precious bringing the ball up the court. It was it looked like precious Magic Johnson. Scotty Barnes. Some people were literally comped to a rookie Magic Johnson. And you go. So why, when the mastermind was the guy who, like, let's remember, was brought here to juice up the offense. Remember when Nick Nurse was the mad scientist mm-hmm, offensively mm-hmm. in practice. He's going to give you four points for a corner three because it's shorter and, like, analytically that makes sense, right? You're going to actually lose a point for a, a, a long two. He, he was going to help Dwayne Casey, who's the defensive mastermind, have a playable offense at the end of the year. How, how do we not have a half-decent offense? It's one of the more confusing things that, that you witness when you look at this team because, to your point, they all seem like they would be good offensive players. But when you watch them, they were a tough watch this year. Like a really tough watch. Like probably the toughest watch since they've been back in the in this iteration of of making the playoffs consistently and having success. And I think part of that is they just look confused on offense. There was no flow really ever. And I can't even tell you how many times you're watching and they bleed the, the shot clock down and it ends up being a Fred Heave from five feet behind the line or Pascal just an ISO drive because they got nothing else. And I think part of that is like Gary's inconsistency really hurt over the course of the year. Fred's inconsistency really hurt over the course of the year. So when those guys weren't cooking, you don't really have that many options. And it comes back to like the whole six, nine philosophy. And I know that Fred's not six, nine Gary's not six, nine, but the rest of the parts involved in that are not good enough shooters. They may be good offensive players, but when your good shooters are having off nights, then you're going to rely on the other guys to shoot well. And if they're not statistically good shooters, your team isn't going to shoot well. 
And then as a whole, you're behind the eight ball all the time. You can't be 27th in field goal percentage in this league and do well. You can't be 28th in three-point percentage in the league and do well anymore. That's not an option. Dwayne Casey's number one line that he used to spout all of the time when he was head coach of this team was this is a make-or-miss league. And the Raptors missed all the time. It was so frustrating watching them. And last year, what they tried to do and what they did more effectively than they did this year, although they did do it this year in parts, was get more possessions, take more shots, have more steals, have more possessions. That was the MO to win. But it caught up with them this year. And you mentioned Precious. There was such a buzz with this team after they, they had a little bit of momentum when they, they had the Jakob Pertl trade. And then things sort of went sideways. And I went and looked at, at Precious's numbers after the trade. And he just disappeared. So now you're looking at a situation where Precious has regressed because of the move that you made that was supposed to help the organization moving forward when ultimately that trade deadline, that move with Jakob Pertl may have just added to the question marks that you have heading into a season where your team's going to look probably a lot different next year than they did this year because it's up to Masai and it's up to Nick Nurse if he's going to stay, but you may have to change the foundation of this team in the way that it's built because like I just espoused for a minute and a half here, shooting is crucial in this league. And if you're going to have the 6-9 experiment, but you're not going to have enough shooters on your roster, it's not going to work. You're not going to win. So I'll push back on that by saying this. I think that is all true Mm -hmm. until the trade deadline when they became a different team. They brought in Jakob Pertl, and they said, we're not essentially doing what we did not only for the first couple months of the season, but we did all summer because when you watch them, it looked like a Rico Hines run. Mm -hmm. Whoever got the rebound brought it up, and we kind of had positions, but we didn't. And we stood and watched as you got in your bag and you cooked. And hopefully it went in. If it didn't, then we're trotting back on defense. Mm -hmm. It was much more structured, and the ball was in Fred's hands. And it was high pick and roll, and it was with Yakko and uh, Jakob. And Jakob was catching it on the short roll and then, you know, either finishing or making a uh, two steps getting to the basket or, or kicking it to the corner for, for threes. Or it was in Pascal's hands, and Pascal can be screener in a high pick and roll. He could be the ball handler mm-hmm. in a high pick and roll. And those were the options with which to bend defenses, you know, hopefully to your will. But it still kind of was like, it had some inertia at the beginning, a little bit of a bump, and then they still were like a 500-ish team. Mm -hmm. They didn't make that sprint to the 6th seed or even like the 5th seed that people thought looking at the schedule could be in play. They still ended up being in the playing game and in the second playing game. Hand up up with that because when, when they made the trade and they had the momentum cooking, I thought this is a different team. They have changed. They have fundamentally, just by adding a center, but you could tell that Nick Nurse wanted a center. You could tell he wanted a little bit of rim protection. You could tell that the pick and roll, they wanted to incorporate that a little bit more into the offense. And the way it was working, I thought, hey, this is a team that might actually sneak into the top six and could potentially do some damage. But then the wheels just came off. Like, all the momentum that they had, I really don't know what happened, but something just was lost near the, in the last month of the year. Well, in the, on Twitter, the takes are extreme, right? Mm-hmm. Fans are upset, right? Masai Bobby got to go. Nick Nurse, they got to fire him. And it's like, well, listen, 
he might he might leave choose. anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he might, that might yeah. be consciously uncoupling. Uh, you, they, trade Siakam. You know, don't bring back Fred. Like a, any combination of X person or persons need to exit the chat. You see on Twitter right now. The interesting thing is you're starting to see some nurse only one based off the foundation of Dwayne Casey. What has Nurse done since, right? Nurse has been a depreciating asset, you know, since he's been a coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, the team missed the playoffs two of the last three years, mm-hmm. right? So I- I'm not saying that there isn't cause for concern based off of the last three seasons. It's a big sample size. But I, I do think it was an entirely different team. I think if Dwayne Casey had Kawhi Leonard, like, it also would have been a different conversation, mm-hmm. but Nick Nurse deserves credit. The, the boxing one was real and was made fun of until it worked. Mm-hmm. He, he did a lot. Just having a, a wall, essentially, of defenders and said, like, well, Giannis, you can't go through or over all of us. What are you doing? Right? I, I think he does deserve credit. Sticking with Fred mm-hmm. when Fred was struggling. right? He, he pulled the strings appropriately you know, at that time. But one thing I will give Dwayne Casey credit for, and also for the people who are like, well, Nurse is just riding Dwayne Casey's coattails, Dwayne Casey is riding his way to the front office right now. Like, it's not as if Detroit is winning a championship. I do think he's a great man, great coach, but, like, you need players, you need coaching, and you need a bit of luck. But one thing I will give Casey credit for is when he was here at the beginning of every season, he had roll cards. And he would write three things on them. He put them in every player's locker. And if there was any doubt, you could check. You're not happy with your minutes, not happy with your shots, not happy with your usage, go check the roll card. Because that is what your path to playing is. And if you have an issue, we can talk and bring the card and we'll, we'll walk through it. I don't know if anyone really knows the role. Oh it changes, it's point. fluid, right? Mm-hmm. It, uh, Eight people have the same role, mm-hmm. and so there isn't a clear line of understanding, and so maybe you can't get the best out of the group because the group isn't really sure when they show up to work, like, what am, what am I doing today? What am I doing yesterday? Right? People are arguing about whether or not they misplayed the amount of available dates they had for a third-string point guard. Like, this is where you are. So... Uh, I'm not sure if there was role definition, which is necessary in any group, family, business, sports team, right? You perform best when you know what's expected. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know if, I don't know if when Chris Boucher came to the arena every night, if he knew these are the three things I have to do for me to win, but for us to win. Mm -hmm. It, It looked like, to your point, a bunch of people just trying to figure it out on the fly. Well, this is a huge concern for me going forward is that y- you look at – I think the role conversation is fascinating because look at Scotty Barnes and a major question moving forward for this organization is what is Scotty Barnes? Who is he? Is he the guy that won Rookie of the Year and then sort of plateaued this year? I mean, he got a, a maybe a little bit better, but you, you didn't have the question answered as to whether he can be a franchise cornerstone. And is that because he doesn't know how much of the offense he can take on? He's not comfortable with his role. What is he going to be? So a big question moving forward is you have to figure out, can Scotty Barnes be that franchise guy? 
But as the roster is currently constructed, can you answer that question? Is there is there a world where if you have Fred coming back, if he decides to do that, if the team wants to bring him back, and you still have Pascal, who a year down the line, we're going to have to have a conversation about his contract. If you have those guys eating up the roles that they do, you also have OG, who night to night is a big part of the offense as well. Can can that roster construction allow for Scotty to take on a bigger role? And isn't that the most crucial thing that you have to answer moving forward? If he's not the guy, then what are you going to do? Because Fred and Pascal are almost 30 now. They're almost 30. And not to say that they can't be effective NBA players at the age of 30, but you have to answer the question of what is Scotty Burns. So to your point, the roles need to be more defined. If Nurse is going to come back, and if all these guys are going to come back, Pascal and Fred are, are both going to have to relinquish some of the, the shooting, the playmaking, all of that is going to have to be handed over to Scotty Barnes because next year, I don't even know if they're going to be better. They're going to have to have some serious changes if they're going to be better than the team that they were this year. But I think moving forward, the biggest question is what do you have in Scotty Barnes? We had the tongue-in-cheek Scotty Barnes is a future Hall of Famer on, on Tim and Friends. And while it was tongue-in-cheek, you saw flashes of greatness last year. No question. And you wondered, wow, what, what can this guy be? Can this guy be in the upper echelon of stars in this league? And this year did nothing to answer that question. You can't rule it out. It's only year two. But it's not like he improved that standing. It's not like he got closer to that. So they got to figure that out. And that, that speaks to your, your conversation about roles. And I think what is the most concerning and what a segment of the fan base has valid concerns about is you don't have any more information that you trust about that now as we are in April as you did in February mm-hmm. with the trade deadline. Because there is an entire matrix of decisions and thus moves that change based off of what his ceiling is, based off of what ultimately Pascal's ceiling is. Pascal might be an all-NBA player this yeah. year. I, I argue that, that he should be in that conversation. But can he be the best player on a championship team? And if not, what do you do? How do you get that player? And, mm-hmm. and, and if that player is not Scotty, where's that player coming from? Some would argue that's the specific exact reason why you should have been sellers at the deadline. You have three players that are part of your core that are on player options, could get expensive. You then brought in a player who is going to be an unrestricted free agent. So you literally can't keep them all. The Dallas Mavericks have been a terrible example, but one where they said, we're going to be honest. Our our path to success is not fighting to get our heads beat in by a one seed. It is increasing our odds ever so slightly, well, keeping their pick in their case at 10, but maybe even, you know, the the ball's bouncing in your favor and you're looking at potentially a top four pick. Mm -hmm. The Raptors could have been in that scenario where they pulled to Utah, they pulled to Portland, they just faded out of the playing scenario and increased those lottery odds ever so slightly. Clearly, they didn't do that. Revisionist history at this point. Moving forward, what should they do? As we end this conversation, two-part question. A, Jesse Rubinoff gets a FaceTime 
Bobby Webster. That's weird. Hey, Bobby. Do your your Robert De Niro from the Fed. Yeah, that's probably how I'd answer. Hey, Bobby. <laughs> um what would you do with the open switches with the roster and with the coaching staff? One. And then two, what do you think they will do? Because those might not be the same thing. I'll start with the what do I think they will do? No, you started with a very deep sigh. As I, if I did. <laughs> as if you need a defibrillator. Like, <laughs> no, I'm good. Issues. I'm good. I, I think when I look at Masai Ujiri and Nick Nurse and why the partnership has lasted for as long as it has and why I think it's worked, and you know particularly Masai very well, and, and you know how competitive they both are and how much they have a desire, a burning desire to win. And I wonder if they have the ability to take a bird's eye view and say maybe this current iteration and the flexibility or lack thereof that we have with this roster can do, do we have the wherewithal to do what we have to do to be essentially worse next year moving forward to see what we have and build once again from the ground up. I don't know that they have the ability to do that. And there's nothing on this team right now in its current form, bringing everybody back that suggests that they'd be any better a year from now. There's, there's nothing, even if they give Scotty a little bit more rope, what does that mean really in the grand scheme of things? N- not much. He could get a little bit better, but it doesn't really help you moving forward. So what I do think they should do, I think they have to take a long, hard look at Fred and Gary. And part of the problem is this is exactly that we had a conversation on this very show right before the trade deadline and, and on Tim and friends. And I was pretty vocal about what I thought they should do with the deadline. That was, you have to start trading assets because this team probably is not going to be able to get it done. Sell off vacations.com. And that's why now you look back at the trade deadline and you say that probably was ill-conceived at the time. You went for it. Nice try. Good effort. But it may have set you back because you could have Fred and Gary walking for nothing. So I, I do think that <laughs> I'm not sure bringing them back really helps. Like, thank, thank you for the memories. Thank you for the memories. But I'm not sure that bringing them back helps you because how do you get any better? It's not like they have a ton of cap flexibility anyway. So I would have liked to see Fred, Gary move for assets because that would help your organization long term. And then if those guys walk for nothing, you're not getting much better there. So you're going to be worse regardless. Then... I think you do have to take a long look at Pascal. And the reason I say that is because of the age and the fact that you're going to have to address that contract next year and you're going to be probably worse next year. So what would be the point of keeping around a player who's a fringe all-NBA player but frankly hasn't answered any questions as to whether he can be the number one to lead a team to a championship? If you're going to be worse, what is the point? Because by the time you then have a, a competitive window again, he's probably not going to be able to help you the way that he's been able to help you now. So I know that this is difficult to stomach, and it's difficult to stomach for me because I've gotten so used to the success of the Raptors organization for so long, but I don't see a future just trying to recycle the same roster that they've had for a while. So I think full-scale changes should be in order for the Raptors because you have to build it back up. 
And there's only really one way to do that, the way this team's set up, and that's to start from the bottom again. I don't think it's going to be as extreme as Masai going in there like Logan Roy and looking around the room <laughs> and saying, you're not serious people. You are not serious people. I don't think it's that extreme, but I think they will facilitate a blow-up either here or abroad. Yeah. And so I think you spend the first months of the offseason heading into the draft, free agency, calling around. Hey, Chauncey Billups, like, what are you doing with Dame? Like, this is not working. Like, you guys have won seven games after the Ulster break in the last two years. You got to move them. Mm-hmm. I've got a bunch of assets that would look nice in Portland black and red, not Raptors black and red. Hey, Washington, you're really going to do this Bradley Beal thing again? For what? Let's make a move. Hey, hey, Griff, love what you're doing with the Pelicans. Zion had a three-month hamstring injury, and he doesn't know when he's going to play. Give them to me. Alex will fix them up. You need to win right now. Brandon Ingram is a borderline all-star. Here's some nice pieces to go with Grand Theft Alvarado. I think you try to facilitate someone else blowing it up and bring in that A1 star. And if you can't do it, well, you might as well blow it up yourself. Right. And so I think that's the move. I think it's going to be something drastic. You're not just trimming around the edges, right? This This needs more than liposuction this needs like a full makeover like we're talking about episode one of the swan we're doing everything nip and tuck and so i i think either way it's gonna be and it has that same feeling where it's gonna be a big swing we can't right we we felt the same way before they made the deal for Kawhi, and 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 there's a real talk Mm -hmm. at that point that they could go the drastic other way like how many times we're gonna just run this group back to watch them lose to lebron and i feel like we're at a come to jesus moment it could go either way and and i think honestly i think that will also dictate who the coach is yeah because if you are you know taking a couple steps back then i don't necessarily know if that makes sense for you know double and nick nurse right now totally Um, but if you're just tinkering with some new faces and a high-level um, A1 star, then I think, yeah, that might energize him in a way where, you know, it does make sense. So fascinating uh, to see. Thanks, as always, for giving us your perspective. You're bro. the best. Thank you. Thanks so much to Jesse. Give him a follow. If you're having some Jesse Rubinoff withdrawal because you can't see him on Tim and Friends whenever you so choose, make sure you follow him. At Jesse Rubinoff is the handle. He'll be joining us on this space as much as he has time. I'll be bothering quite a bit as we continue to talk about postseason basketball. Until then, on behalf of myself and show, thanks for listening.